If you happen to be in need of a new t-shirt, hoodie, sticker, journal, or magnet, and want to help support this podcast, why not kill two birds with one stone and visit our official merch store? Check out the ever-growing selection of designs inspired by Japanese history at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com. Thank you for your support. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 4, Episode 10. The Short but Eventful Reign of Emperor Junin. The fallout from the rebellion of Tachibana Naramaro quickly spread beyond the immediate circle of the conspirators themselves. While there is more than a little dispute over which politician originally coined the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste, Fujiwara Nakamaro embodied it by demoting any of the conspirators' immediate family members to distant offices so that they could no longer trouble him in the capital. And when he was finished with those certain other members of the Tachibana, Otomo, and Ono clans, he continued casting a wide net that even ensnared some of his own family members. Hopefully you'll recall that the Fujiwara clan divided itself into four cadet branches according to which of the four sons of Fujiwara Fuhito they descended from. Nakamaro was of the Nanke, or southern branch, being descended from Fujiwara Muchimaro. His three famous uncles had produced many sons, some of whom he did not trust. An important matter to keep in mind when we discuss the mighty clans of any period in Japanese history is that these organizations should not be understood as monolithic social structures in which each of the lower members implicitly obeyed their higher-ranking patriarchs. You may recall that one of the three main conspirators behind the Ishii incident, in which the Soga clan leaders lost their lives, was Soga Ishikawa, a member of the very clan he was helping to topple. Tensions within a given clan is a common subject for Japanese historical dramas, and for very good reason. Conflicts between different high-ranking leaders within a clan were relatively common. Arguably the most shocking of Nakamaro's demotions was that of his own brother, Minister of the Right, Fujiwara Toyonari. It could be that Nakamaro was truly suspicious of his brother's actions during the investigation and believed he had been secretly part of the conspiracy. You may recall that Toyonari believed that Ono Azumahito was truly innocent and that it was only after he was dismissed from the proceedings that Azumahito confessed under torture that he and the others planned to kill Nakamaro and overthrow Koken Tenno. We can't state with any certainty that Toyonari either joined in the conspiracy or perhaps knew about it and believed he might benefit from allowing it to happen. But whatever the case, his brother reassigned him to be the provisional governor of Dazaifu. It was at this time that Fujiwara Toyonari suddenly grew very ill 
and was thus quite unable to make the journey to Kyushu. This was obviously an indirect protest to a clear demotion and practical exile, but Nakamaro did not press the issue, and Toyonari remained sick in his home for almost a decade. He was, of course, smart enough to keep to himself, and not flaunt the fact that he was essentially defying his powerful brother. In 758, after nine years on the throne, Empress Koken announced her retirement. Crown Prince Oi ascended the throne as Emperor Junin, and Fujiwara Nakamaro was given numerous new titles with which he could continue to exercise political hegemony. He was granted the office of Udaijin, or Minister of the Right, but his admiration for the greater centralization of China now became clear as he attempted to redistribute power and give new names to offices in the court to achieve the Chinese style of an all-powerful sovereign who entrusted the actual day-to-day management of the nation with his chosen courtier. Yes, it was a power grab, but adding the Chinese aesthetics probably helped make the concept more palatable to his fellow Kuge, many of whom admired China's culture and government. Unfortunately for Nakamaro, however, there was one small problem with his attempt to invest the throne with absolute political authority. The retired, but still living, Empress Koken. While no longer sitting on the throne, it's clear that she still intended to wield a certain degree of power. Throughout the first two years of Emperor Junin's reign and Nakamaro's supremacy, retired Empress Koken repeatedly attempted to obstruct his work. A custom of the Nara period court, which we shall see repeated and repeated again in later periods, was the act of posthumous promotion. Respect for ancestors is a cornerstone of classical Japanese civilization, but this was also a way for the emperor, as well as certain powerful courtiers, to sprinkle some extra prestige onto their name. Emperor Junni naturally wished to bestow a posthumous title upon his late father, Prince Toneri, who had died of smallpox in 735. Empress Koken strenuously objected to this, and the squabbling between her retainers and Nakamaro grew so intense that Empress Komyo felt the need to intervene and allow the promotion. Empress Koken also objected to changing the era name, and the arguing continued. Things could have turned out very differently if Empress Komyo had continued acting as a stabilizing force between Nakamaro and Koken. In 760, however, she died at the age of 59. The rifts between the sitting emperor and his retired predecessor only grew worse in the meantime. Nakamaro did his best to ignore the retired empress and periodically advised her to take vows as a nun and pursue the way of the Buddha, as her father and mother before her had both done after their time on the throne. There were far more pressing matters in his mind than assuaging the former empress's ego. News had gradually been trickling in from the west. 
Tang China was in huge trouble. In response to increasing invasions in the early 700s, the Tang dynasty had adopted a system wherein large portions of the nation would be under the direct control of their regional governors who could each form their own armies to respond to threats quickly and give the national military time to mobilize and complete the victory. If you think this sounds similar to the Zhou dynasty's system of Feng Shen from back in the 1000s BCE, you are onto something. This military governance system was undeniably similar in character and was subject to many of the same excesses and problems. In 755, a powerful Tang governor-general of Central Asian origin named An Lushan staged a rebellion against Emperor Xuanzong with far-reaching consequences that echoed across the continent. This is often understood as part of a larger trend of powerful military leaders in Central Asia seizing power and attempting to carve off chunks of their respective empires for themselves. The An Lushan Rebellion produced especially high casualties because of the already large population of northern China, as well as the massive disruption to the local resource networks that led to famines. Census data from the period alone testifies to 36 million deaths, though many historians are quick to point out that data collection in the late 700s was less than reliable and shouldn't be taken at face value. The figure of 13 million is more often cited these days, with the actual count likely somewhere in between. A devastating toll. This rebellion and subsequent establishment of the Yan Dynasty in northern China was a crisis to be sure, and Fujiwara Nakamaro was not about to let it go to waste. He called for an invasion of Silla in 759, and the chronicles claim that an army and fleet were assembled for this purpose. From a strictly strategic point of view, this was the perfect time to attack their Korean neighbors, with whom they had always suffered a frigid relationship, because Tang China would be unavailable to bail them out. Perhaps they could even draw Balhai into the action. By 760, the invasion was either cancelled or had simply been stalled for so long as to be practically cancelled. The feud between Nakamaro and retired Empress Koken was worse than ever, and not even Nakamaro's elevation to Chancellor, usually called Daijo Daijin, but now called Taishi with the adoption of the Tang office names, could heal the rift between them or convince Koken Tenno to seek enlightenment and leave the court alone. In 761, Fujiwara Nakamaro probably felt like he caught a lucky break when the retired empress became gravely ill. This sickness, whatever it was, essentially neutralized her ability to interfere, and he took advantage in 762 by promoting his three sons to the office of Sanggi, or counselor. By this time, the empress had accepted the help of a charismatic man who would one day turn the entire nation on its head, a Buddhist monk of the Hosso sect named Do-kyo. In his earlier days, Do-kyo had come from the Yuge clan of Kawachi province, which is where Naniwa is located. 
he led a comfortable young life, receiving a decent education, and becoming enamored with Buddhism. Dokyo spent his adulthood in the Kongo mountain range, which lies between Nara and Naniwa, living as an ascetic mystic. He focused on memorizing and chanting the sutras, a practice believed to cultivate magical powers. He is noted for having participated in a sutra transcription ceremony in 749 and had been part of Empress Koken's entourage for some years when she fell ill in 761. He was charged with her care and provided esoteric healing rituals as well as traditional medicines. By 762, she had made a full recovery and completely credited her trusted friend for saving her life. There is no small amount of debate on the precise nature of the relationship between Empress Koken and Do Kyo. Some accounts claim that they were lovers. Others are simply silent on the matter either way. While it is certainly possible that there was a romantic element in their partnership, I think that the parallels between Empress Koken and the Empress Wu Zetian of China, whom we discussed in episode 4 of this season, give reason to be at least a little suspicious of the accounts that claim theirs was a physical relationship. Empress Wu was recorded as having several lovers, so many that some started trying to kill each other. Famously, one of her boyfriends was an overzealous Buddhist monk. It could be that Koken and Dokyo were romantically intertwined, but it's hard to ignore how easy it would have been for later chroniclers to simply crib from the Chinese histories when accounting Japan's own history. In short, we'll never be fully sure. Maybe, maybe not. Empress Koken had always trusted Dokyo as a spiritual advisor, but after the miraculous healing, she began to ask his opinions on matters of state and arranging for him to receive court rank so that he would be eligible to hold office within the Daijo Daikon, the great council of state. This was going a few steps too far for Nakamaro's comfort, and he decided to take up this matter with the emperor himself. He begged Junin Tenno to speak with Koken and make her see reason and stop showing favor to this ambitious monk. This was said to have enraged the retired empress, who swore she would take vows as a nun and that she would also strip Emperor Junin of any sovereign authority. Although these threats were thus far just words, they seemed to have frightened Nakamaro enough to take action. He arranged for the emperor to appoint him to an office in charge of regional military training, which would usually mean he would conscript 20 men of fighting age from the three provinces where he had been appointed. The entire appointment was, of course, an excuse to raise an army, and instead of the 60 troops he was supposed to recruit, he recruited 600. Next time, we'll discuss what Nakamaro did with those 600 troops and how the retired empress and Dokyo responded to his actions. 